Again, good morning. It's a joy to be with you and to be able to, at this time, dive into the Word of God. And we are still in our Proverbs series, and this week begins this portion of the series. Um, it's a topical um, aspect to the Proverbs. If you remember, we were going through chapters 1 through 9. 1 through 9 is written like a letter. And now we're transitioning, and we've, we've already trans, transitioned uh, these previous weeks and have gone more topical. And the reason for that is because once we get to chapter 10, these Proverbs, we, they kind of uh, read like the Proverbs that we know, right? These short little sayings of wisdom, and they just shoot from uh, verse ver- to verse and topic to topic to topic. And so in order to preach the Proverbs, instead of going through just one chapter of Proverbs, like chapter 18 or chapter 25, and going through all the Proverbs there, which would be very confusing because we'll be hitting, you know, 15 to 20 different topics, instead we're going topical, hitting on one issue and looking at different Proverbs that talk about this one issue. And so this morning... We're talking about humility. Before I read the passages uh, that we'll be looking at, let me set up some context. Like I said, we just finished the portion of Proverbs uh, that is like a letter. And remember, this is Solomon writing to his son. All right, so it's a father writing to his son. And as a father myself, what I most want for my children is for them to walk in godly wisdom for all their days. So if you think of your children or maybe grandchildren as they're growing up, uh, there'll be times even when they're teenagers, you're going to be speaking to them and correcting them and giving them wisdom in hopes that they'll take that path. And you don't want them to leave that path even when they go into young adulthood and get married themselves and have children themselves. You want to see them continually walking in wisdom. And this is exactly what Solomon wants for his son as well. And of course, that doesn't just include fathers, right? It includes mothers. We want our children to walk in godly wisdom. So this is what Solomon does, though, when he, when he writes this, specifically chapters 1 through 9, when he's writing this letter, is that he uses a lot of analogies. He uses pictures to help his son along because, young men, sometimes we need word pictures to help us understand. And so he uses things like lady wisdom, and he gives characteristics of what lady wisdom looks like, and then he measures her against these other cast of characters, like the evil man and his perversive speech, or like the forbidden woman and her smooth words. In fact, when you get to chapter 9, the end of this letter, he compares Lady Wisdom with Lady Folly. And he paints this picture of these two homes, one that Lady Wisdom has built and one that Lady 
folly has. And these two set up a banquet with this food. They put ta- the food on this table, and then they go out into the public, into the public square, which would be us, people in society, and they're screaming and yelling and calling out, come in, come in to my home and feast. Now we know with Lady Fism, it is a good spread. It's delicious, delicious food, savory food that you can enjoy. Lady Folly, on the other hand, is stolen water and bread. Now she may talk a good talk and really uh, um, sell it, but in the end it's just stolen food, stolen water, stolen bread, and it basically leads to death and destruction. So these are the images that Solomon is painting for his son, and that's what he's painting for us in calling us to wisdom, and that's what I want to keep moving towards and keep pointing towards as we go through these topics of wisdom is to picture it like a banquet. On Sunday mornings, and we've already been doing this when we're talking about these topics, I know Joe was here, uh, Jeff, Jeff was here last week, talking about these topics, picture them as this banquet or this food this, that is spread out before us. And the question is, will you partake? Will we partake? Will we listen to this wise counsel, or will we ignore it and feast upon Lady Folly's table? That's what we need to be asking ourselves every time we come and look into the Proverbs together. And so here's the prayer, or here's the call at least, and that is to prayfully, all of us to prayfully engage in God's word and to be nourished at wisdom's table. Let us be nourished at wisdom's table. And with that, let me read these Proverbs to you. There's no particular order to them, except for this is how I wanted to structure them in my message. So let me read these. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 31 through 33. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. And then our last one, Proverbs 13, verse 13. 
Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. All right, I know that's a lot. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask, Lord, just as we look through these individual Proverbs, we would see the themes, we would see the repetitive words that are being used. Father, ultimately, we just don't want to gain knowledge. We want to gain wisdom. And that means that our hearts must change and be formed in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so that is our prayer this morning, that your word will be faithful and do its work within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let me just share with you where we are going. So first, we're going to define humility based on the passages that we are looking at. Second, we're going to look at how some of these Proverbs compare and contrast uh, with humility and pride. Okay? And then last, we're going to look at what I call a paradox regarding humility. And what I mean by that is there is something about humility or the result of humility that does not make sense for us, at least in this world or in the eyes of the world, there's something about humility or the result of humility that doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. There's something about it we don't necessarily think about. And so I call it humility's paradox. We'll get into that later. Let's first start with what is true humility according to the Proverbs. What does it look like? Here's the definition. True humility is submitting to the word of God as the authority of your life and an openness to receive godly correction. True humility, and this is according to the Proverbs, is submitting to the word of God as the authority of your life and an openness to receive godly correction. All right, so we kind of see this in chapter 9, if you kind of recall, I'll kind of remind you of this because I know it's been a while. But in chapter 9, Solomon lists off differences, the differences between the scoffer and the wise man. Okay? So there's the scoffer, there's the wise man, what are the difference? Well, Proverbs 9, verse 8 says that the scoffer, uh, not to reprove him. Not to correct him. Why? Because he will hate it. He will reject it. And by you giving him correction, he will then hate you. He doesn't want to hear it. On the other hand, the wise man, it says in verse 8, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Why will he love you when you reprove him, when you come and bring correction? Because he realizes it's for his good. It's for his good. You see, wisdom involves a, real, a willingness within you, a willingness to receive correction, knowing that it will ultimately be for your good. And that's why the wise man will love or appreciate the one who comes with correction. 
They know it is good for them. All right, so now let's jump to our Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verses 31 through 33. Listen to how it describes the importance of correction. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So all three of these verses hang together. They all hang together. So let's look at these. What I want to do is kind of break it apart and compare and contrast when it's talking about pride and when it's talking about humility. So look at these verses. When it's talking about pride, let me look for these. Oh, okay, it's not talking about pride. I am jumping ahead. I'm sorry. All right, so with this verse, what are the things that are similar? There is no contrast that I want to point out. It's what's similar. And it starts with listening. It starts with listening. Listening is really important in the aspect of how we listen. And there's various ways that we are called to listen. So what is that? What does it mean to listen? Well, I think first, when you look at these passages... It starts with humility. Okay, so when we put all these passages together, Aiden, if you want to jump to this next line, this is kind of how it's playing it out. It starts with humility. In or, when you have humility, you will then listen. And with listening, you will gain wisdom. And out of wisdom, the result of it is honor. That's what's playing out here. So there is, it starts with humility. That is required in order for you to receive correction, to actually listen, which means to obey. It requires humility. That's where it starts. So it's very different, this kind of listening. It's very different than learning or hearing information come towards you, right, or come at you. Um, I love documentaries. I'll watch a lot of documentaries, and I will glean from them and get all this information. Some may say it's useless information. I may be able to repeat it back to somebody, and they were like, oh, how nice, and that's it. This is far more than just listening or hearing a documentary or learning in that way. This kind of listening requires me to look much more into my heart and reflect on what's really there. There's a requirement not just to hear the words, but to understand them and integrate them into what I understand about myself. So let me give you an example of this. And is Kara here? Good, she's not here. So early on in our marriage, I remember having a little spat. That's a nice way of saying it. A little spat. Uh, we were at our house, and at that time, I was working up at LMC as a tutor. 
And um, all of a sudden, we, we got it. There's something that she was upset about. It happened to be about me. And so she approached me about it. She brought it up. And it was perfect timing. It was the perfect timing, the right time to bring this up to me five minutes before I have to leave to go up to LMC. So she brings it up to me, and I'm a bit flustered by it. I'm, and, and instantly, uh, I do the right thing. I agree, apologize. No, I don't. That's, of course not. I become defensive instantly. I start well, hon, but, and start, and of course, that gets into the spat, right? Five minutes before I'm to leave. So, of course, this does not get resolved, not even close to getting resolved when I leave. I hop in my car. I'm still in that mindset, right? So I'm angry. I'm upset. Um, she brought this up to me. It's bothering me. And so as I'm driving through Three Oaks, the town of Three Oaks, my mind is not there. My body is there behind the wheel. My mind is not. My mind is in a courtroom. And I'm the defense attorney, and my wife is, on the, is the witness, right? And what do they call those? A, um, a, um, when you're, you're a witness, like that you have to kind of, what's that? You're cross-examining them, and so they're, they are, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, though. A hostile witness. My wife was the hostile witness. Did you or did you not? Right? And so I'm building my case, my defense case, against whatever she had against me. And I have these wonderful points. I have A and B and C and D, all, and I'm working through this. But as I'm working through this, driving through Three Oaks, all of a sudden I see lights behind me, and I get pulled over. I get pulled over for speeding. It's only 25 through eight, three oaks. I will not tell you how fast I was going. I plead the fifth on the stand and the sixth. Thank you. And so I get pulled over. He gives me a ticket. So now I'm even more angry. I'm even more defensive because I, there was, I, I tried to defend myself against the police, but... There was no defending it whatsoever, you know. I could um, I was arguing with my wife, officer, can you? No. So I get this ticket, I'm angry, and now I'm trying to figure out how can I put this ticket into evidence? How can I, how can I bring that into evidence against my wife as in this argument? And so I'm driving up to LMC, and I'm, I'm still in that zone. I get up to LMC, into the parking lot, and the parking lot is absolutely empty, they closed the school down for that day. I did not know that. By the way, I live in Three Oaks. LMC is up in Benton Harbor, so it was this long drive. Didn't even need to go up there. Wouldn't have gotten the ticket. And so as I'm driving back, I'm even now more frustrated. And so on my way back, as I am creating this argument and shaking my fist, not only towards my wife, but because of all these things towards God. Is that a heart of listening? Am I listening there? No, I am talking. I'm speaking. So on the way back, finally, as I'm 
sputtering and spitting these things out, not verbally, but in my mind, finally God says, are you done? Are you done? And in that moment, he pointed to everything that was going on within my heart. And basically I had to said, I'm done. Or I'm undone. In one split second, God changes it around and said, stop thinking about all the things that have been done to you and look at your own heart. And when that one moment when he forces my eyes towards my heart to see my own heart and says, I am, are you done? Look, are you done? I became undone. The Lord changed my heart where I had to humble myself and look at my own sin, my own folly. And in that moment, I was able to listen. Not only was I able to listen to my wife, because that's important, right? Men? <laughs> Can I get an amen, wives? Can I get the hands raised with that? The co- cough, Coffee? Listen to your wives. Not only do you have to listen to the one correcting you, you also have to listen to the Lord. You have to listen to the Lord. In order to get to humility, you have to listen to the Lord and what he has to say and what he is pointing out, which is in your heart. So let me include a third thing. So we got the wife thing. We got to listen to our wives. We got to listen, or the one who's correcting got to listen to the Lord, and he's pointing to something that we got to listen to in here. we got to listen to what's going on in us. So when this passage talks about the ear that listens to life-giving reproof, or he who listens to reproof gains intelligence, this word listening has a lot more behind it, doesn't it? There's a lot more there that we need to consider. And this is the kind of listening that the Proverbs is calling us to. All right. As we transition, remember, this is what is required to listen then, right? Is to be humble. In order to really listen, it starts with humility. All right, so not only does humility involve receiving correction, all right, but it also involves submitting to God and his word. So remember our definition There's two parts of it. It's receiving correction, and it's also submitting to his word. So that's what we're focusing on now. Let's look at verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. Is that clock right? Okay. We're going to go faster. Uh, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Now, we've seen that phrase, the fear of the Lord, before, right? multiple times. The question is, what does that mean to fear the Lord? Now, a lot of times we equate fear with other things. Like, for example, when my kids were younger, there's a specific daughter I had when she was young in our old house. She could not be in a room by herself. It didn't matter what room it was. It could be the kitchen. It could be the bathroom. It, her own room, it does not matter. You guys are looking at Violet. I'm not talking about Violet. I'm talking about Grace. Grace, when she was younger, 
five or six years old. She did not want to be in a room by herself. We had to go with her. She was very scared. Don't know why. Maybe it was a boogeyman. Maybe it was something crawling across the floor. We don't know. But there was a fear there. I'm afraid of heights. I don't like heights when I get to something. Actually, it's not the height that is trouble. It's the falling. I don't, actually, it's the, the impact. It's hitting hard. I don't like falling hard. I don't think any of us do. I'm afraid of that. I have fear of heights. That's not the kind of fear that I'm talking about when we say the fear of the Lord. It's a different kind of fear. It's nuanced. So this is what it looks like to have the fear of the Lord. It's more like this. It's like going to the Grand Canyon and seeing how vast, how big, how mighty it is and comparing it to you, how small you are. When you look at the Grand Canyon, and when you, when, you, when you look down there, and it's so deep, and it's so wide, and it's so huge, and you imagine yourself trying to get through the Grand Canyon, you realize how big it is, and how small you are. When you are in a storm and there's the wind and the, bl- the wind is actually blowing you backwards where you have to actually lean into it or hold on to something or you're going to get blown away, you're experiencing something that is bigger, greater, and more powerful than you. And it's, it's, it's that kind of fear. It's an awe of how great and powerful that thing is. And so when it comes to God... When it comes to his word, he is far more greater. He is far more powerful. He is control of all things. And so it raises him up with all his power, glory, and might, and it puts us in our right place underneath him. And so in that, there is humility, right? There is a humbleness that takes place, understanding that he is greater and far more powerful than you. That's what it means when he's talking about the fear of the Lord. It is a reverent fear, knowing that you're in the midst of a great power. Therefore, the fear of the Lord, it's connected with humility. You must have humility in order to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord results in humility. It's it's both and. Uh, A great picture of, of these types of things, you think of Moses standing before God when, you know, the burning bush, right? When he stands before God while God was this burning bush, this was a holy moment. In fact, he takes off his sandals because it's holy ground, and God gives him this command, you are to go to Israel and to Egypt, and you are to speak my word. You are to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and you know how Moses responds? The first words out of his mouth are, who am I? Who am I? Wait. Me? Why would you ever choose me for this great work? This is too much. You are too great. Your call is too much. There is this sense of humbleness that comes when you're in the presence of God. And that is required Uh, So when we talk about humility and what true humility is, it's submitting to God and his word, and it's also receiving correction.
A, a great picture of this is uh, in the New Testament. Uh, two men walk into the temple. One is a Pharisee, okay? So he's a leader. He's well-known. He walks into the temple, and then there's this tax collector. Tax collector, not well-liked. Kind of look, people look down upon him. The Pharisee goes to the front. He starts praying to God, and he prays. And you can kind of uh, think of this or, or, or summarize it as a prayer of pride because he's like, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like <clears throat> this guy. I pray three times a day. I eat my Wheaties. I exercise. He doesn't say that. But that's the kind of prayer he's giving where the tax collector is in the back. He can't even raise his head up. And he's beating his chest and he says, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me because I am a sinner. That's all he could say. Have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. Which one has a heart of humility? And which is the one who walked away righteous? You see, humility is required when we approach the Lord, and it's out of that humility and trust in the Lord that we are made righteous before him. You see, instead of relying on ourselves and our own merit, we must humble ourselves, and this is how we humble ourselves. It's by putting our full reliance on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That takes humility. Humility softens the heart and allows for the gospel to take root and to spring. And what springs up into that is eternal life. And so the prayer is, may God create within us a lowly spirit. May God create within us a lowly spirit that we too may be humble and receive his grace. All right, so we've defined humility, what true humility is. Uh, we kind of looked at humility versus pride a little bit. We kind of skipped some things, but I think it's important that we uh, keep moving here. We're all, we, we need to be done. Um, let's go to humility's paradox. So a paradox, like I said before, a paradox is something that sounds absurd or far-fetched but can still be completely true, right? That's what a paradox is. So let's read these verses. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So Solomon is saying that there are rewards that come from humility. However, that is not a message we hear today, is it? You know, in order to gain, um, to gain riches or honor in our world, like fame, in order to have a good life, what does the world say that we must do? We, we often hear that it requires strength, charisma, boldness, in order to get to the top, right? We must promote ourselves. Do we see that often in our society of trying to promote ourselves? An example 
of this is I remember seeing this video where this guy was, he was doing a test, an experiment, where he uh, had his friends, got his friends together. He also hired some people. He gave them money um, to follow him around. He also rented a limousine. And so he, he gets these people into this crowd on a crowded street corner. He drives up in a limousine. He gets out and some of his friends have cameras and video cameras, and they all charge him, and they're asking him questions. They put microphones in front of him and snapping pictures and everything. And all the, the, the rest of the crowd is like, whoa, what is going on? Who is this? And so they start crowding around as well. And he's, you know, thank you, thank you. And he's, yeah, you know, and they're kind of interviewing him, and he walks into this building. His friends with these microphones and video cameras and everything turn around and they start interviewing the crowd. And they go, hey, you just saw Jonas, Jonas Edwards walk through, walk past. Hey, what do you think about his new movie? And they'll put the microphone into these people's mouth in front of them and they'll be like, oh, his new movie is awesome. I'm so looking forward to watching it. Man, I love him as an actor. He is a great actor. Oh, I love that guy. They have no idea who he is. They have no idea who he is. It's this idea of uh, fake it until you make it, right? That's the kind of picture that we have when it comes to in order to get rich or have riches, in order to have fame, in order to have a good life, we must promote ourselves or build ourselves up in a way that's not really who we are, right? Fake it until you make it. Promote ourselves. Speak or look like we are the thing, that we are successful. You know, that's kind of the picture that I have when, when it talks about, you know, these things that we want and, and gain. That's the type of thing, right? To make much of ourselves. On the other hand, when it comes to God's kingdom, God's kingdom has a different set of values, has a different set of rules. Sure, that's how the world does it. To be exalted, that's how the world does it. When it comes to God's kingdom, it is different. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time... He may exalt you. What a reward for humility. Did you realize that there was a reward for humility? To humble yourselves? The result is that He will exalt you. And this is humility's paradox. When you are low, He will lift you up. When you are last, you will be first when you die to self, you will live. That is humility's paradox. This is a radical change in thinking, and it applies in every area of your life. This applies in every area of your life. And so what I want to do now is, one, ask the worship team to come up. Can you guys come up, please? And um, Dan, you can kind of do the cool playing in the background.
No, but it's good to have some music just to reflect because I want to ask some questions of us. And I would encourage you, feel free to write these down. You might have some uh, at the back of your bulletin, a place to take notes. But I want us to just jot these questions down because I think these are important questions that we need to consider, reflect on, and even throughout this week, we can be thinking about. All right? So here's the first question that I want to ask. Have you noticed in yourself, have you noticed a strong urge to prove yourself in order that others might make much of you? So just think about that for a minute. Think back to this previous week or this previous month, the interactions that you've had, whether at work or at home, in the grocery store, whatever it is, have you noticed a strong urge to prove yourself in order that others might make much of you? You know, sometimes that can be very subtle. Number two, think of a situation, perhaps at work or in your family or at church, where you feel an urge to prove yourself. I think that one's really tempting. I know there's a lot of times I, in my own life where people will ask me a question, oh, what happened to whatever it is? And I would feel this urge, oh man, there, if I don't answer correctly, if I don't know, uh, they're going to think less of me. So I try to come up with an answer really quick. Just various ways that this comes up. And here's number three. If you could empty yourself like Jesus, here's the, big, here's the big question. If you can empty yourself like Jesus, how might you behave differently in that situation? What would that look like? What would you say or not say? This radical change in thinking, this mindset of, of thinking differently, it's radical. There's a paradox within it, but it is given to us. Did you know that? It is declared yours. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him and call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, this kind of mindset is yours. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9 tell us this. And this is why it's ours. This is why. Have this mind among yourselves, this, this mindset of humility, which is yours in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He emptied himself himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore this is beautiful therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name you see when we put our faith in jesus christ we actually become one with him. There is a union with him. And as we humble him ourselves, as Jesus has humbled himself, we too 
will be exalted with Christ. That's humility's paradox. It's portrayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it applies to us when we humble ourselves in the same way. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can look through the Proverbs. Lord, this call to humility, it is not easy. There's a way that we have to really look within ourselves and see what's really there, and that can be scary. It could be painful. But we know, Lord, that with much grace and mercy, we can come before you, and wherever there is sin, where, wherever there is selfishness, we can take those things and hand them over to you, and you can make us clean. You can change our hearts. And that is our prayer, that you would do that work within us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.